When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Black and White Podcast, where life might not be black and white, but we certainly are. My name is Katie. And I'm Marie. Hello, hello, everyone. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing a lot better this week. Um, I'm, I, I feel like we talked quite a bit last week, and it gave me some encouragement. And yeah. I'm a week away from from surgery and feeling good and terrified, but we're doing well. So for those who don't know, the last two weeks have been like therapy, like real, but like I know we talk a lot about mental health and like COVID with life, but like these were like some therapy like, sessions. <laughs> yeah. A couple hours of us just like when life kicks you in the balls, sometimes you got to sit down, you know, and we <laughs> take a minute. Down moment. Yeah. Yeah. Take a breath. I'm yeah. really excited today, though, because we have a friend of mine from high school. Woo! High school. And I wanted, did yeah, I don't know, was it like, did you, we might have known each other before high school, junior high, does that, or maybe it was just high school. I don't know, because, and we'll probably talk a little bit, because I went to the same school from second through 12th grade, so, um, uh, but uh, what I love is um, there's not a lot of folks who kind of lean towards progressive, I guess, or have grown out of uh, our church. And um, it's, I always pay attention, not only to those who kind of leave our standard traditional ideas of <laughs> life and love and what, I, what, you know, what it's supposed to look like, but also like people are doing the work and really learning and unlearning right? Decolonizing and like deconstructing. So um, I won't say much more because we'll, we'll talk hopefully a bunch about what she's doing now, but I'd like to welcome my friend uh, from high school uh, and an amazing, amazing person. And I'll let her talk about the work she's doing now, but it's Christy Jose. Hi, Christy. Hey! Christy Jose. Wait, is Christy Jose Frederick is what I should say? Yes. Yeah, but that's Frederick. okay. I'll go by, I mean... 
like I said, we, we knew each other under like different names. So it's yeah. totally fine. <laughs> Things have changed. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's yes, exciting. Yeah. yeah, no, we're excited to have you on. Um, Maurice told me a bit about you, but I'm excited to to hear a lot more from from you specifically from the source. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, so oh God, I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh, so I I am a undergraduate at the age of 43. I am a student at the University of New Mexico. And on top of that, I also have a family. I have three kids, 17, 14, and six. Dang. Yes. And then my partner, I we have been together for 22 years. Nice. Wow. I know. Um, and so, yeah, we've just, we've lived in a lot of different places and have seen a lot of different parts of the country at like really interesting points in history. Um, and we were living in Seattle previous to Albuquerque and now we're here. We've been, we moved to Albuquerque in like May of 2020. So like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like right in the center of it. (laughs) How was that move? Well, so, so Matt, my partner is a, an ER doctor okay. and he, he was like one of the first few physicians to see COVID on the West coast. So like oh. it all started in that nursing home, right? Like in Kirkland, Washington, which uh-huh. is like right on the other side of the lake from where we were, were living. And so, um, they were sending all the nursing home patients to this evergreen hospital in Kirkland. And then once that hospital filled up, then they sent them to my husband's hospital. And oh. so he called me like on the way to work and he was like, just so you know, um, Evergreen's all full and they're going to send, start sending patients to me. And so, you know, at that time, like they didn't have PPE, they didn't have, yeah. they weren't outfitted for something like this. I think right. they had like one hazmat suit, you know, in the whole hospital. It just, they were not prepared. And so, there was like a really big, I think that was like one of the moments where we were like really questioning our life choices. Oh, wow, um, yeah. and, um, and one of those life choices was just like, is this the life that we really, really want to be living? Like he, he was hustling. Like, I mean, you know, he's a physician and he was hustling. Like he was working out of all his group of doctors. He was one of the ones working the most, mm-hmm. um, and there was which no is, space. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, which is just prime real estate for COVID when you're like working yourself to death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there was no space for me to be able to do anything. Um, so I was just like a taxi driver. That's all I did was like drive oh. kids to and from school and things like that. And, um, and the year prior, actually, like our best friend who had the same job and he li- lives in Texas had a heart attack. <gasps> and so we were like, this life is not probably this is probably not the best career to like stay at for like a really really long period of time um and so I think it just was like that and then the fact that I really once I took over my kids schooling like my daughter at the time was in fifth grade and she her her teacher emailed us and was like we're gonna start a unit on the 13 colonies and I was like no we're not (laughs) like (laughs) 
that's not my history. I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. So I was like, let's take this opportunity to learn about Mexican American history. And like, that was when I was like, (laughs) I, I emailed a friend and she sent me all these like documentaries and stuff that she had been like, that helped her. And I realized like, through that process, like how little I knew about like my own history, my own heritage, because like brown people operate in this like in between space. There's of like the, you know, the narrative is usually like very black and white (laughs) and, and there's all these other shades of brown in between. And so I always just viewed my history as being outside of real history, like U.S. Mm. history. Whoa. So to learn that, like, like my people actually participated in very big movements throughout history um, was just, like, so, like, new for me. And so... It wasn't even, like, a lesson for your kids. It was, like, a familial thing. Totally. And I think it was, like, uh, it was, like, ripping off like a bandaid to a wound that I didn't even know that I had. Um, And so the more, it was like a rabbit hole. Like once I saw, I could not unsee. And, um, and I had tried to go to school before, but like university of Washington was like, it's been more than 10 years. So you have to start over. And I was like, there's no way in hell I'm taking college math ever again. <laughs> like, like general electives or like yeah. all those like <laughs> prerequisites. Yeah, like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. And so I guess I was like, okay, I guess like school's out for me. And then Matt was like, well, you know, like UNM has like a really good like Chicano studies department. And so I think at that point we were already kind of thinking like, I think it's time for a change you know, and then, you know, I was like, if you die, like, I can't afford to even pay like our mortgage. Like, I don't have a college degree. I don't know that I could even get a job to like pay for stuff. And then I, and then I was like, well, why would I wait till he died to like get kicked out of my house and to have to change? And so it was just like all these little big giant things happening at once and so then we just started throwing like spaghetti at the wall we're like okay we need to change let's just see what sticks and so I applied to UNM and we looked into schools for our kids and he looked into a possible job at UNM and and UNM was like yeah we'll give you how about we give you a scholarship for all the good grades that you got 15 years ago. And I was, you know, so that was awesome. And then my husband was going to do a a fellowship at the hospital, which didn't end up working out because as COVID went through, like the funding fell through. And so he actually, for 18 months, he flew back to Seattle once a month and worked for 10 days. Yeah. And then he would fly home and be off for three weeks. Um, Whoa. That's rough. Yeah. And yeah. like and, and those ten days I'm sure weren't just like a nine to yeah. five. Those yeah. were like no. however long I those shifts are. I, I was in school. I had three kids. Luckily my in-laws moved with us and so they took the little oh, one. Nice. They did they took the little one and did preschool with the little one. And then but the two other ones were like one was starting middle school, one was starting high school online. Oh man. Um, and 
yeah, so that was really, really, it was a challenge. Essentially, they didn't go to school for like that entire. <laughs> I mean, talk about, wow, what a 2020, like I, I know like everybody's kind of had it rough in one way or another, but like not only did you help with switching like careers and like investing in your own like education, but you were educating your own children along the way while uprooting everyone and going to a new state. Like this is so many things. Yeah. How was 2021 after that? Like, did you feel like you could breathe a little <laughs> bit or like, was it still kind of gripping the seat? <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, that wasn't even like all the things that happened to us in 2020. Like yeah. <laughs> in October mm-hmm. of 2020, mm-hmm. there was this weird, bizarre phenomena that happened to females ages 12 to 25, where they developed Tourette's. What? Yes. Wait, my, what? Yeah. My daughter was one of those girls. Wait, there was multiple girls. Enough to conduct like a A medical study. Somebody noticed. Somebody noticed. Was this this specific to New Mexico or was this just nationwide? No, it it was just random. It was all over the world. What? I've not heard anything about this. Yeah, is there a is there a name for it? How did you discover this? And like, how did it manifest? Because I know Tourette's has very different. uh, It was like from one day to the next. Like she went to bed. She said she was feeling already like it was happening as she was going to sleep, but. I was doing schooling all day that the following day and I saw her at like 3 p.m. I came from my dark hole of school and I saw her and she was like making like jerking movements and I was like stop it that I just I don't like when people act extra it really bothers me. I already like, friends not, with Marie. No, no, no. no, no. But like, particularly like my children, right? Like when right, right. I just feel like I feel like they're trying to dupe me, and so it kind of like triggers something sure. in me. That I'm just like, can we? Just I'm sure it's it? also a little bit like, like, are you not getting enough attention? What are you doing right now? Yeah, exactly. So I was like, please stop that. And then her and my husband both said at the exact same time. She said, "I can't," and he said, "She can't," and I was like, "What?" And he was like, yeah, she's been doing this all day. And I was like, and what are we doing about it? I'm like, you're a doctor? What are you doing about it? You know? (laughs) And you didn't tell me? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So so that was like the start of this whole thing. And they were like, well, if it doesn't go away in a year, then it will just be like a chronic thing. And so, I mean, that has been like, that was kind of like, 2020 and then 2021 and and she still deals with it now and it manifests in just the most bizarre ways it's like psychosomatic so hers hers is like anxiety and depression which doesn't that make Mm. sense yeah right it does this happened in october of 2020 all these anxieties are like finally physically manifesting themselves um and then some people were like oh did she watch tiktok it's it's the TikTok that is doing it because they were like TikTok they, Tourette's or something like that. No, they, um, they think it's like a trend or something or like a new yeah, thing. Like, oh, no. and, and people blame that. But to me, I mean, and I went along with that for a while, but she was like, no, mom, I didn't even see that until after I had Tourette's. Because like, then you're starting to look like, 
online. Like that's what parents do, right? Something's wrong with my child. I'm going to go look online. And so that's what she did. She was like, something is wrong with me. And then she found, I think she found solace in the fact that she found all these people on TikTok. So did it exacerbate it? I'm sure it did. But I don't think it was like she got it from TikTok. I just, to me, that's just like, that is the stupidest thing. But no, and, and I mean, I know there's been a ton of research into Tourette's and things like that. Like, but there's so much in terms of just like neurological things and like misfirings that like we don't know a whole lot about. So, yeah. I mean, people will explain things away just because they're like, it's too complicated for my brain. So let me simplify yeah. it and just say it's probably a TikTok trend. Yeah. Uh, well, well then- the parents are the judgiest, honestly, if we're being really honest, like <laughs> the worst to each other. I don't understand, but yeah. So I, I guess I just keep thinking like you said when she was 12, right. Is when is it, and already dealing with depression and like especially because I know a lot of kids went through that uh, in the pandemic and I don't know I just think as a 12 year old how devastating like you know I think I think who I was at 12 years old and I wanted nothing I didn't want anybody to notice me really like you just kind of want to go through the world unseen uh, I mean, or seen in a great light, right? It's like right. This, this seen, one of two extremes. Like seen, it, seen in a very or... controlled light, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I just like, I mean, how did you, I don't know, deal with that? Because I'm sure number one, as a parent, is probably very scary. But two, how did you help her deal yeah. with that mentally? I guess mentally or emotionally or... I mean, it was just, it. you know, like I think... It was completely devastating, to be honest with you, because I was like, she couldn't not make those motions at the time. It just was completely uncontrollable. And so she was like saying things and her body was jerking. And I was like, I don't know. Can I'm not sure she could even leave the house just because of other people's reactions. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I, so initially it was completely devastating. I was just like, we already have gone through so much with our first child who was diagnosed with autism. Um, okay. And so, and, it, you know, they're 17 now. So we've been dealing with that for a long time. And it was just like, really another kid, like another kid that has struggles like this. Like, yeah, you know, I, it was just completely like devastating. Um, but then it was also freaking hilarious because she would just say the craziest shit. Like, like what? If you don't mind me asking. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. so my husband is bald, right? Like, practically. Okay. And he would walk in the room and she would go, bald man! You know? <laughs> out loud. My oldest had this, like, oh, one of the worst bad haircuts ever. Oh, no. And then he would walk into the room and she would say, hello, Lord Farquaad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah. I'm so excited because there's obviously a little like bit of humor in there. Yes. Like there's like yeah. um wit almost. Yeah. Um, and she was really speaking cool. a British accent too. And it I just guess. was like it was too much. Like my husband was like, stop, stop bringing attention to it. I was like, I cannot have a physical reaction to this. It's freaking hilarious. Like, how do I not? do that. And so 
it, it, it just manif- it has manifested in different ways. Like she, last year she saw Never Have I Ever and where like Davy can't walk at the beginning of the season. And then like she woke up the next day and she's like, I can't move my legs. Oh. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, and then my partner and I are like getting into an argument about whether or not we should get her a wheelchair. Cause does that, does that play into it? Cause it's psychosomatic. She can sure. walk, but she can't walk. Um, and then it was hilarious because they, then he ended up buying the wrong chair. Oh and no. So it still required somebody to push her. So it just is like, it's been horrible and hilarious all at like the same time. It's just like, <coughs> man, what a that. trip. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's how life is though. Like some of the worst mm. shit that happens to us is also some of the most hilarious shit. Like it's yes. weird how that is, uh, you know, like you can't help but laugh because this sucks so hard. I, I honestly, that's how I got my dad. When I when he when he when he was diagnosed with cancer, I never told so many inappropriate jokes to him. Like it was just I had to. I had to laugh constantly. Like I remember when he made it to the doctors and we're like, poof, like like <laughs> you know, you got through this one, Dad. You know, and I remember the new thing he's gonna have to get his pace his pacemaker changed. And they're like, Yeah, you've got about two more years on it. I was like, We'll see. And like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> You know, but it was it's gallows I, humor. Gallows humor. And I I appreciate it so much and I don't think we give enough reverence for that kind of coping because we don't like it. But yeah. when you're in it, it it's, feels it's, fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> it, because you're at your lowest and it's just like I, I'm already confused as hell and like everything doesn't make sense. And then when you can laugh, it's like it's like a little piece of candy. Like you're just like, oh, thank God, at least I have this. Yes. Um, if you haven't heard it yet, there's a wonderful stand-up special. It was like only 30 minutes long, but it's Tignataro's Live. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said that like she wanted to call it Live because you could say Tignataro Live, and then she'd be like, no, no, it's Live. Um, <laughs> but essentially, it's it's a stand-up set that she comes out um, at the Largo or I think it's the Largo and Ed Helms introduces her and no one knows anything about what's going on. And she just comes out on stage and she's like, hello, I have cancer. Yes. Hi. I have, I just got diagnosed with cancer. Hi. Yeah. And she's like, I'm sorry. I like, I would do my normal set, but this just happened. And she's like, but this was like after a shit ton of things. And she just does 30 minutes straight of like the hardest shit that she's been going through her entire life. And she's like, and I just couldn't stand up there and do a joke about seeing a bee on the 405. (laughs) And and that in that, it's just, it's so hilarious how, and like the audience is like, please tell us these stories because we're all kind of like in that place in one way or another, where it's like, if we can find a little bit of joy, even if it's gallows humor, it brings something to someone. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> so, did yeah, she find it funny? Did she find what she was saying funny? Like, did she, she would, enjoy she it? Would be like, she would go, oh, like, she couldn't believe what, what she was, was coming out. Because oh. it's so, it just was so not characteristic of her. She's very, like, 
quiet and very like appropriate. Uh These were all these inappropriate things like coming out of her subconscious. And she would, it was like somebody took over her body and said something. And then she was like, like, can you believe that they said that through me? Like, right. you know what I mean? A stand-up comedian is like quantum leaping into your child every now and then <laughs> when she's stressed I, or depressed. Yeah, I love that though. And then, yeah, I, mean, but, I mean, I'm sure it's not fun for her, but like at least. Right. Yeah. We were really lucky that um, our pod, once we moved, we were able to have a pod because when we were in Seattle, we couldn't pod with anybody because yeah, of your husband. home, like he's coming home to us. So like, He's exposing us to COVID consistently, which meant that like we couldn't pod with anyone. And right. so like we see friends like literally outside of our window that we can't, my kids can't go play with Talk because we That's are trapped. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was great because he would leave and then we would have our pod, which was our next door neighbors. And they, they have just been able to like roll with all of it. They think it's funny too. Like, my daughter told my next door neighbor that she had syphilis. Like, you have syphilis. <laughs> and she's like, okay. <laughs> Just like roll with it, you know? I so, yeah. So we, we were really lucky that, you know, we had people around us that like just totally are, are willing to like roll with it, you know? Now, are you still uh, potting? Are you still locking down? No. I mean, okay. no, yeah. I mean, Good. I feel like I should, as, I don't know, as things get bad, I do will like definitely like mask and things like that, but you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, but he's, your partner's also not like going to Seattle and working in like the hotbed of a COVID ward anymore, right? right? No, he's doing it here in New Mexico. <laughs> oh, okay. That's <laughs> He works full time here in Mexico, New Mexico. Yeah. So okay, is he well, busy he again now? Right? Because isn't there a surge in yeah? He said right that now. they had like a tent. Like it was like the most. I don't yeah. know. I might say this wrong, but it was like the most patients they had ever seen or had or something like that. And really, there was somebody that he was working with that day who was working in New York at the height of it, and she saw that he or she saw that tent and was like, "I can't, I can't go in there." Like it was too triggering for them to. They couldn't Go do in. it. Yeah. I bet. Wow. Yeah, because New York was like the mass graves, like crazy yes. stuff happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord, let's yeah. never go back to that because it was insane. It I was know. insane. Yeah, a million percent. So. Yeah. How How is New Mexico in comparison to Seattle? Like for you especially? There's literally no comparison. Like, okay, it, it, there's zero. I mean, other than like the drugs and things like that, which I feel like, I feel like in Seattle, it's way worse. Like, which was another reason as to like, why we were just like, it's just getting to where it's not safe for us to be here. I have a kid who doesn't always like to make positive choices and like to be in the vicinity of so much act, like such easy access to like drugs and, prostitution it just was like there's there was nowhere like that you could go that you wouldn't see it it was mm. just mm. everywhere um so i mean in seattle. I, I, yeah, really, yeah, I was actually we were, seattle, we were seattle together and like a I year just, ago <laughs> yeah and i would have never guessed 
Yeah. Might, we must have seen all the tourist areas. I think that's really what it was. Yeah. yeah. The Pikes yeah. Place and all that. Oh, yeah. They're, yeah. But I mean, you know, it was like I couldn't let my kids, you know, I always instructed my kids, like, don't veer off the sidewalk. You know, like, they're just, you never, I mean, my partner took a screenshot one time or like a picture. He was at like a bus stop and there was just like a bunch of needles. Like, just, you know, it just was like, mm. got to where, and then they would park outside your home with the RVs and stuff, which is like, you know, I mean, we all, we never were like, get out of, you know, <laughs> move, you know, I mean, that's their home. But at the same time, like they're parking right in front of my child's like bedroom window. You know? Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. It just, Definitely. it just got to be overwhelming, a little too overwhelming, you know? Um, and then in New Mexico, completely different story or... It's it's bad here. I would say in Seattle, the crime was like petty crime, right? Like people are breaking in your cars because they want your change. They want your money and they want to like sell your stuff so they can get money for what they need. Um, and here it's like crime, crime. So oh. it's like like guns and you know, that kind of in stuff. New Mexico. Like yeah. I, I, here, I, you know, I'm really I'm yeah. learning. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I could, like, I literally have always thought of, like, New Mexico is, like, some magical place, like, full of hills and pretty trails. And, it like, kind of, it kind like, of reminds me, I, I mean, I've always thought of it as, like, Arizona adjacent, where it's, yeah. like, Arizona, like, people go for, like, the pretty rocks and, like, Sedona, yeah. like, crystals and things. But then when you really, like, live there, it's, like, high sure. alcohol and meth and all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like historical uh, trauma mm. in New Mexico um, due to just like, you know, I, I mean, essentially we're like the country's toxic waste dump, right? Like oh, they gosh. built like the nuclear laboratory is here in Los Alamos um, and things like that. And they, you know, took people off of their land to build that space um, it's like if, it's like if somebody said you have to move out of your house and then they move you right next door to it and you just like see it all the time. Oof. Somebody Ooh. else is buying it. Somebody else sees it. So it's like the land itself has become this like pain, this like wound and, and you yeah. can't see it because you live there. So there's a lot of like addiction that has been associated with that, those sorts of like dispossession of land, things like that. So there's a lot of like that kind of like trauma, things like that, you know, just it's, it's not, um, you know, we're like Seattle in particular is a very, very wealthy city. Sure. Um, New Mexico. I mean, especially like Albuquerque is not, you know, Santa Fe is like, you know, the fan that you go there and you get like Seattle vibes when you go down there. It's a little bit more bougie, but mm. Albuquerque is like, no, they keep it real down here. It's oh, wow. Like, yeah. So give me a SoCal city I could compare Albuquerque to. I'm, I'm, is it like a Bell? Is it like a Compton? Is it like a Martina? I mean, there, there's some parts that I was in Bell Gardens. Like industrial. Car, okay. parking lot stuff, like not a lot of like, you know, natural beauty. I mean, I think you have to like, there is natural beauty because like there is like the Sandia Mountains, but I think 
you have to really, really pay attention and really, really look with your heart and your mind to find and to be able to see the beauty mm. in in this town. Like if you don't if you don't think it's there, you won't see it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, yeah. Have to like open yourself up to being able to see the beauty in brown, you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which for me, it's <clears throat> a lot about myself, right? Like because I'm brown. So to me, for me, the land speaks it mirrors to me a lot about myself. Ooh, can you talk more on that? Like, yeah. uh, especially what you're studying and, you know, what you're what learning you're about. On. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So my walking, I would say, is like my spiritual practice. It's a way that I like sort of connect with like, I think about my ancestors, like my grandmother was originally from New Mexico. So I think about her a lot when I'm in, when I'm walking, we live in the foothills. So and the trails, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like, like, as far as like thinking about like beauty in the mountains, like, she doesn't give it, I always refer to it as her, but like, she doesn't, she doesn't just give it to anybody. Hmm. You have to, you have to earn it, you have to be able to like, deserve to see how beautiful she is. Hmm. And so for me, it's sort of like, I'm not traditionally what the United States would deem beautiful. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I know the audience can't see you right now, but I don't think I'm fucking bullshit. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but I mean, I you know, I'm I'm not like this standard. So like for so for me, like it's I'm like she just taught me how I need to treat other people about what I allow other people to have from me. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, this is actually something that we talked a little bit about last week and like what we do for others and then what we allow ourselves to either do for others or be shown for others. Um, what is it for you that allows people to see the beauty of you? Do you feel like you make other people work hard or do you feel a little more giving? I think I'm naturally bent to be more giving. And so I'm actually trying to not be so giving. Like, for example, mm. um, like smiling at people at the store. Like, I'm trying not to do that because whenever somebody looks at me and doesn't smile back, it does something to me physically. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And I'm like, they don't deserve that. I don't even know this person. So I'm just not going to smile at people anymore when I, I'm not going to make eye contact with people. I'm just going to go do my business and I'm going to go home and that's going to be it. Um, so that I have the energy to give of myself to the people who actually do deserve it. If, you know. It's funny that you say that because as a black woman, I have really had to come to terms with me always smiling at people and my automatic, um, I don't know, I am automatically want to make people feel safe around me, right? Yeah. Like, I am a safe Black person. I'm going to smile at you. I'm going to make jokes. And that's work on my behalf, right? Like, I have to, I now have to, like, tell you, hey, you know, it's like a dog, you know, putting their head down. Like, I'm safe, right? Like, I'm okay, so I, it's good to hear that because I thought about that. Like, I always go out of my way to make people feel safe beyond what I think I should, like, 
have to do. And then I realized, too, people are going to assume whatever the hell they want to assume about me anyways. Exactly. I can be as nice as I want. But and I've been nice and still been harassed. I've been nice and still been like ran caught underfoot. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, I think as a woman, it's important that we don't like. It's weird. It's, it's so layered because you know, as a woman, I also think we are. How many of us have been told to smile, right? And yeah. then I think as people of color, it has something else. Like, hey, you know, we're <laughs> we're one. We're of an the okay guys. version. Yeah. Of, yeah. yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like, like even my lipstick, like this is something that I'm trying. I'm trying because I usually- It's gorgeous. Colors, thank you. I usually <laughs> steer away from these colors because they're threatening. They make people feel mm. uncomfortable. It makes people feel uncomfortable to wear dark makeup because they think, they, they assume whatever the heck they think. I don't know. But- sure. Yeah. So I'm just taking little steps to like try to to not people please in that way. So I guess my question is because I think this is kind of why I perfect. I guess it's a perfect segue. But when I sell your is it um, brown girl white church? Mm -hmm. You know, has part of this kind of understanding of you. Now, do you refer to yourself as Chicana? Or, yeah, I mean, I identify as Chicana. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what it's like as a brown girl, as a Chicana woman in a white school, and what that means, white church, white school, white church, and mm-hmm. what it means to deconstruct that. And also, what it means to love yourself. And because honestly, and Katie and I talk about this all the time the self-hate is real. Like Mm. I was taught very well. I was programmed very well. I hated people that look like me for years. Like it, it works. Like when people tell me systemic racism isn't real, I was like, yeah, it is. And I'm going to tell you why, (laughs) because I graduated from the program. Right. (laughs) I believed it all. Like it really, really did. Uh, So yeah. Like how is that kind of what led you to, the work you're doing now. Yeah. So yes, a hundred percent. I mean, I feel like it's interesting because thinking about it. So my work focuses on Chicanas in the white evangelical church. So it's evangelical spaces that are English speaking and predominantly Anglo. Um, even if there are a lot of people of color in the congregation, if the leadership is predominantly white, like guess whose voices are being highlighted. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's for women who are in that space. But I mean, my indoctrination of like purity culture and oh. all that kind of stuff that happened at school. Like my dad is a pastor. And so on Sundays I would go to his church. That's like not even on their radar. Purity culture. Really? No, gosh, yeah. no, not at least not at my dad's church. Um, they're too busy trying to like survive life and like mm. live life and make it through life and like pay bills. They don't yeah. have time for all that like stuff. <laughs> yeah. The, the nice frills of like, Oh, this won't be uh, something that yeah. we, we have to discuss too far into. Right. But Whatever prescriptions you put on people. Yeah. Um, and so all that was learned in at our school, all, all those chapels, all those chapels and, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it happened there. Like, I mean, I remember a friend telling me, like, um, I had this 
boy that was my boyfriend for like two years and he oh i was gonna like who nobody listens anyways <laughs> <laughs> which is what we considered naming this podcast as don't worry nobody's listening <laughs> but um like we were hot and heavy and all of our friends knew it like every, we just were making out like all the time because hello we were 14 13 14 15 years old like duh like that's what you want to do and i just remember somebody telling me like hey just so you know like all the parents are on lookout for you guys. Like they're like, trying to catch you. Did like, my mom doing it? Because I can oh, see no, my mom no, saying your mom, like no, that too. no, no, no. This was like <laughs> this is like a friend who told me that she had overheard the parents talking, and they were really concerned. And so it was like that. Just like it just was like shame upon shame upon shame. Right. Like that. Even these normal feelings that I was having were like really shameful. And that's not something that I even was able to unpack until like maybe a year ago. That I wow. realized that shame, the shame that I carried from sex, like went back to like that time in my life yeah. when I was like 13, 14 years old. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it, which is like, it's the the time of your life that you're starting to explore and understand what it means for you specifically. And like, for for me, I, it was like, there was just like, there was no dating. There was no nothing. There was no looking at boys. There was like, it was very repressed to the point where I was like, I'm probably in, I'm an insane person um, because my mom was bipolar. And so with that is usually like a hypersexuality. And so anytime there was like a, a thought, impurity uh you know you're crazy you're impure you're a sinful person but that is just being a teenager (laughs) yeah exactly how did you how did you unpack that within this last year well man i can't even remember how it came about put down that smartphone and listen to me i'm matthew milligan professional musician and lifelong weird owl fan Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? I just, I just feel like I'm, I'm just always interested in like learning more. And so I can't remember what it was, but there was something that I heard or read and I was like, that is like totally me. That is what happened to me that I, Hmm. I felt horrible and shameful. And so it was like this, the education that we had sort of laid the groundwork for like, oh, my dad's church, they don't care about that stuff. Obviously, it's very, very important. So I'm going to go with the people who totally have it figured out. And I'm going to, they obviously have it, they have it down. They they know all the answers. I'm going to go. And so as an adult is when I really was like participating in like the white evangelical spaces. Um, so 
yeah, I mean, it, it's like the the decal. I mean, I, I think I just will be decolonizing probably for the rest of my life. Yes, yeah. you yes. know, yeah, you will. It's, yeah, <laughs> you will. I, it's funny because I think that because um, I went through a phase of hypersexuality and like really not like I think the moment I lost my virginity. I like I actually rolled over on the floor and cried, like curled up into a ball and just yeah. cried my eyes out. Um, because it was done. I was finished. So then mm. why not? Why not? It, what's the number? If I was doomed to hell for one, what's one hundred? Or what you, I'm not saying that's one. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was it's very much so like Wow. Yeah. Hell, yeah. Oh, and then I'm gay on top of that. Or what I'm right. you know. Yes. So my yeah. I'm like sleeping with whoever I want, like really sleeping with whoever I want. Yeah. My dad didn't care as much. My mom was freaked out, but it's funny because she was freaked out because she lived under that same kind of regime. Mm-hmm. Um, and it caught the cause and effect was very similar. So I think how much it harmed her, she was scared. Um, and I think all the time, like I would have normal dating. If somebody would just let me date somebody in high school or junior high, I would have known the breakup. I would have known the hurt. I wouldn't have known the, the power of like saying no and not having to, you know, it's just so weird how you don't teach women how to take, how to really value themselves, honestly, really. Um, and how powerful they can be. You know, I don't care about how much sex you're having. What I do care is that you have agency over the sex that you're having. Like you, right. and I didn't, I didn't, it was like, Eh, whatever I guess you like me this might not happen again because I'm ugly number one because like that's what I thought my whole life you know I was a black big black girl you know in mm. a Calvary <laughs> and so I really yeah. that with that self-loathing the hypersexuality and the, like the fact that I was doomed to hell no matter what uh, it was like fuck it let's go and that yeah. a lot of those feelings resurfaced when my dad died as well because mm. Um, I was like, I remember telling the pastor, I was like, well, you guys keep saying I'm going to see him again, but I'm not going to see him again. You know, it's like having to like, that sucks. (laughs) We grapple with that. Well, and I think the other part of that too is how much at least women in general are kind of suppressed in emotions, because if you have more than just one emotion in one sitting, then you're labeled as crazy or as like hysterical when we as women have the great capacity to feel so many things and it's just it's not socially accepted to have a different like opinion or like change your mind it's considered waffling or like being like picky or whatever um it's it's amazing to me just how many pieces of the suppression pancake are just like being piled on top of each other in terms of this and I'm you know I only have a limited understanding and knowledge of it because of my whiteness but it's it's depressing and hurtful to see this and see how much pain and then it's like but and then on top of it you're told you can't feel what you're feeling no (laughs) you just gotta go ask for forgiveness like that's it like make it right like yeah well I mean and then we're just as women we're taught that our greatest gift is to be in service to men, right? Like, (laughs) you know, to like marry and to have children and like, you should feel totally 
satisfied, like <laughs> as I'm um, being a mother and, um, yeah. and I just could that, I could never resonate with that. And that was like a lot of that happened like in the South when I was going to church mm. in North Carolina and places like that. Um, what part of North Carolina? Uh, Winston-Salem. Oh, okay. Okay. I was in Charlotte for a bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. We lived in Winston-Salem and then later in 2016 of all years. Oh, gosh. We lived in um, Durham. Oh, wow. Or Cary. Cary. Yeah. Okay. But still kind of similar feeling. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, um, yeah. A bit around the Tiki Torch time, I would say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, luckily... I would, I'll say this about places like that. The people who are like really challenging those racist Southern ideals are like really challenging those racist Southern ideals. So I, I feel like I, I would give it, give that them that, that the people who are fighting against it are actually truly working hard to fight against it because I think I think it's like when you're surrounded by it all the time Mm. you don't ever get a break from like Mm -hmm. you know when you're like when I was in Seattle everybody was the same everybody thought the same we all voted the same and so there's no like there's no like need to like actually do anything to think and grow yeah because well, oh, we'll just vote and pay more taxes. That's the answer for everything is to just pay more taxes rather than like actually doing anything with your hands. Um, whereas like places like North Carolina where it's like there's pockets of like red and blue, like the blue areas are like they are like doing stuff. They are actively doing stuff, which was very redeeming to be able to see that during that time. Um, I can't, I can't make a blanket statement about the South in that particular area because I got to see that there were actually people who really were not my stereotype that I have in my mind of what people in the South are like, you know? I find that like, that's how it often is though, that the people who are doing the work get the least amount of recognition for the work they're doing. Like I always think about, you know, at the height of the, the BLM movements and how the one thing that everybody used to talk about was Chicago and Chicago's horrible. I was like, it's funny, but because if you don't know this, especially Black women, because a lot of women have led most movements. They're the ones serving lunches and making sides. You know what I mean? Like, this is like what Black women have been doing for years. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm like, what are you talking about? Nobody's doing this work. You know, who, The people who are losing their sons, they are doing the work to stop it. They are out on the streets. They don't have time <laughs> to take your interview because they're doing the work. And yeah. I really try to remember that as often as possible. When I lived in Merced County, which is the most backward place, I think, in California. Um, I mean, there's pockets, like, it's like another, there's a couple other regions like this, but um, the I always was amazed at the people who are out Right, in that area because their visible queerness was protest number one mm. like just being visibly queer number two they were like I'm here I'm queer so I'm gonna do this work right now I'm gonna mm. 
be the one of 10 people in the gay pride parade. You know, I'm going to stand and be very visually out. And uh, I I appreciate that. And I got to remember to appreciate those who we don't see. Yeah. Although I will say I, the last time we went to North Carolina, I'm like, I'm never going back. Oh. <laughs> my my partner's extended family all live there and I'm like, you're uh, you know, they're they they they're fine. They really try, like when I'm there. Um oh. but just being there, like I can't Is your partner white? Yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean I, I assumed at this point, but just yeah. wanted to like, clarify. Yeah, big time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I was like, you're welcome to go back. I, I've just decided I'm never going to put myself in a situation like that ever again on purpose. I'm mm. not, you know, I think it's like, oh, I should just, I should just get over it or I should just deal with it or I should just, and I'm like, no, I have to stop saying that I'm just going to like, just Let them walk go over with it. it because it just, it, it leaves a mark on me that I can never, mm-hmm. I can't ever heal that truly. You know, yeah. and so I just was like, after the last time we went and like we went into the grocery store, it was our turn to cook dinner. We went to the grocery store and this lady was like in the produce section and she was just staring at Matt and I and she was just like shaking her head. And I was what like, what the fuck? I was like, did we cut her off in the parking lot? Like, what is <laughs> going on? And then I realized, oh, it's because we're together. Like, I'm, I'm dark. I'm not, I could never be white passing. And he is like very white. And so we were together and I was like, and that's why she's mad. And I'm like, I just, this is, I didn't ask for this, you know, like this is so yeah, dumb. Yeah. I'm never going to, and I flew here. I flew right. to this place, like hours and hours of flying on a plane, which I hate already. And I'm going to like subject myself to this. Like I deserve better. I deserve, I I deserve to not feel like that, you know, would you ever, you know, would you ever feel comfortable in the situation like that where you just start making out hard with your husband, with your guy, with your partner? <laughs> like it just being like, hey, and then just like staring in their eyes and like, <laughs> I know. I wish I could do that, but like what it does to me is yeah. like it's all of a sudden like time and space are just sort of frozen and I am mm-hmm. in shock that this is happening that I can't even like think or process. Mm-hmm. I I think I just go into like fight or flight, yep. you know, and I'm yeah. just like, I, I, I can't even like be witty enough to like think of something. No. Yeah. Like well, and I, I think no. it goes back to the, that thing that we were talking about earlier is like, it's the non-controlled attention where it's just like, there's a light shining on me that I never asked for. And I'm just grocery shopping. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No one needs that kind of a spotlight on them. Even if you're freaking famous for something or other. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I heard a quote like Brene Brown was like, if you look for for how you're not accepted or something like that, if you look for it, you're going to find it. And I'm like, well, that's easy for you to say. Like, there's plenty exactly. of times when I, I can never remove this. Like, I right. am who I am in every single space that I walk in. And people make all their judgments about me regardless of whether I'm looking for it or not. Like, and so I, I think I've just kind of like sworn off 
the South. Like, I'm like, if any, if you guys move to these states, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm never going to see you. Like, I'll, I'll send you a card and that's it. Yeah. You can come to me. Well, and I guess that's the question too. Like, how is the social climate in New Mexico in comparison? Well, it's really interesting because part, one of the reasons why I was, I was hesitant to move back to New Mexico is because being the kind of Chicana that I am, I don't really fit in with my people either. Having tried to assimilate so much the first half mm. of my life, I don't see I don't speak Spanish. My culture and heritage were not passed down to me by my family. So there's re- I just experienced growing up rejection from both sides. And so I think yeah. I just sort of subconsciously went into this survival and I was like, okay, I know how to be in white space. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. assimilate that way. I, it wasn't a conscious decision. It just happened, right? Like we were at school how many hours a day. So I think it just made sense for me to, and I tried, like I would try to dress like my cousins wearing like Dickies and things like that. And I felt like I was wearing. I was trying to wear the Dickies. (laughs) It just felt like a costume. I felt like unnatural. And so I just, I did what felt right at the time. And that's what made sense to me. And so I just experienced rejection from my community it was like I was too brown for the white people and too white for the brown people and so I've always just operated in this space of like never knowing where I fit um and I can't even remember what we were talking about but well I was just saying that the social climate in New Mexico and how that yeah so I think I, there was a, I had to make a conscious decision. Is it worth it to stay in this predominantly white space knowing that people are not going to like outwardly blatantly be racist they're just going to do the whole microaggression thing and be subtle about it and i know how to manage that because i've been managing that all my life or do i need to like go back and reclaim my history and also confront the problematic things about my own people which is Mm. not including everybody who's brown and also like we're really, we can be really prejudiced people. Like we, I think because we operate in this middle space, we can be easily weaponized for anything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, there was like, we were, my Matt and I were walking on the trail and there was this guy, this Hispanic guy that walked by and he had a shirt that said like, don't tread on me. And he was, Matt was like, what is wrong with your people? I was like, we are not all the same. Like when, (laughs) like there are plenty of brown people who are big time, you know, Trump supporters and things like that. And I think there was a part of me that just had to decide whether or not that was worth confronting and dealing. And I think obviously in the end, I decided it was worth dealing with that, but it's 50, 50 here. Although I will say it's, it's slightly more blue. So mm-hmm. in elections, we've always been like a purple state, but I think it is more blue at the moment, but it has swung like both ways. Like sometimes it's Republican and sometimes it's, um, you know, Democrat, but I think um, it is, it's, it's much more, like I said about those pockets, it's in my face all the time the problematic ways that my people operate. And so because I'm faced with it all the time, I don't ever get to like chill and relax and pretend like it doesn't exist. 
which I think is a good thing because I am, that means I'm consistently reflecting on what I think about those things and how I should respond to those things. And it makes me think about my past when I was like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I would say it's like, it's 50, 50, but there's way more Brown people here, which already makes me feel that does make me feel more comfortable. Um, You know, so I would say there's a lot of problematic people here. Sure. There's a lot of people doing work too. And I'm sure there's still like, there's still a little bit of temptation to hide within the ambiguity of it all, you know, and that's because if you're constantly having that in your face and you're constantly having to have an opinion on every single point of that, that's like hypervigilance and that can be exhausting as well. Yeah. Let me point it out. Wow. Okay. I mean, I think that's why I like that it's the desert because um, I, it's just so slow. Like they call it's like the land of enchantment, but we all here call it like the land of manana because it's like (laughs) (laughs) everything is on like, everything is on BPT. Like everything is on tomorrow's time. Like when it happens, it happens. Like you're going to order some food and you might get what you ordered and you probably won't like get what you order. You know what I mean? It's just like it's everything here is just so like lax and chill, which I really, really like because I feel like the work that I'm doing is very challenging sometimes. And I am, you know, I we live in a white neighborhood. So like the foothills, we live in the north east um heights which some people joke that they call it the northeast whites because it is mm-hmm. a predominantly white neighborhood but my husband was like I, i'm sorry i need nature and and i get it like my as i said like my practice is walking and so um so that was more important to us so but i mean yeah i it's it's it, it can be exhausting because in academic spaces then i'm like I, I feel like imposter syndrome, like I'm not brown enough, you know, like I don't know Spanish still, you know, after even four semesters, I still don't know Spanish. So, yeah. I, I, it's funny because I, I want to give you this because, and I don't know if this will be helpful to you or not, but I've dealt with a lot of this and I, I think I've learned uh, how to be blacker as I got older because it was just some spaces I felt safer, just kind of assimilating, but it's still kind of, kind of still leaned to my upbringing. I was raised in an all white, like <laughs> my dad is white, you know, just like, I understand like that, that world. But I will say, um, you know, no matter what, I think as much as I felt like not the same as a lot of black folks growing up, uh, as I got older, I realized the way I could relate to them was the fact that the racism was still the same. Like, and it, 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 it was still like, even when I was in the right spaces, even when I was doing the right things, uh, it was still there. And, yeah. and I think when I kind of had that wake up call, like, oh, this is what it looks like. It's just another, you know, it's just another form or shape. Um, you know, a lot of it's microaggressions, like we, you know, like you said. Um, but I remember like just being, you know, I remember at high school, in high school being at a, 
a party at Genesis Rodriguez's house. Oh, she had a she had a boyfriend. No. Oh, and no, was Jen, he was he DJing at that party? Yes. Yeah, I was at that party. I was there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, the was the cop well, the cops came, and I don't know if you remember the cops coming, but they we all were standing outside, and I'm not even kidding you, and I'm just thinking, not even thinking, because we're all a bunch of Christian school kids. Yeah. Christian school kids, we don't, we ain't doing nothing. Right. Half our parents know we're there. There are parents inside the house, <laughs> but the cops stop Martin and Milton, Marvin and Milton. Really? I remember it so well. And I was just thinking, I remember being like, whoo, at the time. But then I realized, wait a second. Yeah. Like we were in the, we were, we were supposed to, where we were supposed to be. We were doing everything we were supposed to do. Yeah. Yet they were the two who were singled out. I was like, and and as a black woman, I got a little bit of a pass, but, but like later on, like I, you know, I got the the treatment somewhere else. Like you know, so that was weird. Like that, I kind of didn't realize how horrible that was until later. But mm-hmm. it also brought me back. Like I may not always relate to quote unquote black culture, or I didn't have like I don't have all these. To me now, I think that are cool parts of like growing up and what it means to be black. But I know that I can relate in the in my humanity and in my experience of racism. And knowing that, like, if I hear people in that lens, right? If I listen to what they're going through, I think it's like, okay, yeah, I can process it. Like, yeah, that's. You probably would. You probably explained it a little differently than I would. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, but like, it's it's real, and the imp- impact is the same. And I almost feel like a lot of times because I, I think a lot of especially poor black kids grow up with it so much in their face, in the, especially in these impoverished communities, that they're better at dealing with it than I was because they're like, oh yeah. It's Tuesday. And I'm like, you realize this is wrong? We're going to fix it. We're going to write petitions. This is ridiculous. And then as I grew up and experienced more racism and looked back at how much racism I experienced in high school, junior high, um, I think all of a sudden I was like, I may never be like you, but I am you, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I think, I mean, I think that's part of like why I... I was so desperate, not desperate, but like when I, I got this like fellowship and I was supposed to do research and I was like, well, you know, I don't know what to do. And my, my mentor was like, well, you know, our job in research is to like fill the gaps in like scholarship. And I was like, well, you know, and like Chicano studies, like they talk a lot about the Catholic church, which I can kind of relate to. That's not my experience. My experience is in the evangelical church and in the white evangelical church, which is very different than the Spanish Latinx evangelical church. And she was like, there's your research. And it was like, it felt a little intimidating to approach that, like to, to like delve into those things. Cause I knew that it was going to require like a lot of emotional like looking at you know what yeah. I mean yeah and picking apart different things that like you didn't realize had affected you and mm-hmm. it's funny Mark and I um, my partner and I went to uh, one of our neighbor's places and um, they know me through my old college which was an evangelical school oh yeah uh, and 
the language difference. Like, I was like, "Hun, you realize that he's like, I, that half the time I didn't know what they were talking about. And I was like, that's code switching right there. Like, they're literally speaking a different language with how they speak about God and their influence within their lives and how different. Christianese. I always Christianese. Yeah, Christianese. Yeah. And it's funny because, I mean, I didn't slip back into it, but it was also like shocking because I feel like I've developed a whole different language now of just like post-Christianity, which is a weird thing. And like, I often don't speak to my own Christian friends who are still part of the faith and more deeply about it because it's, almost shameful um and like i feel like i don't want to be under a microscope if i start actually expressing like hey <laughs> i think there's a much bigger universe out there yeah. than what you're they're gonna to be describe. like oh god we her salvation is in jeopardy that, yeah that's the one that's the one <laughs> yeah i don't i don't want you to try and save me I, yes. it, it happened so much in the beginning when it came out i yeah. couldn't deal with it and it's funny though because yeah. my dad was deconstructing at the same time so i didn't get it at home which is mm-hmm. what my salvation was. My mom, she was a little late up to the party. <laughs> but that was what was crazy. It's like, I'm, I'm, I wanted to be mad at my dad for being part of this, but he's like, I'm getting it too. Like, I'm, I, I hear you. Like, what? But the minute everybody was like throwing Bible verses or, you know, throwing books at me and I'm just yeah. like, look, I didn't come to this realization lightly. That's what they don't get. I knew what I was facing. I knew what it meant for my future. I -hmm. knew what it meant to be me and live my most authentic life was not. I hated myself for years. Like, do you know, like that? I get it. Like, and I, and the fact that I can still like the day after my dad dies, still that, that girl going, coming out came right back up for me. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh yeah, dad, I'm never going to, cause that was everybody trying to say, you know, I was back in the church again cause everybody's, you know, my dad's a big part of the church. He's going to be great. You're going to see him again. You're going to see him again. And I was like, well, not according to your church. <laughs> not, and so. Yeah. Well, and it, and it, it, it's sometimes hurtful when you've kind of grown to a different understanding of just how life works and the, sort of, the the placation or the the simple phrases that come in that you know like oh there's always there's a plan you know god always has a plan that that, it 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 seems to take like a totally different meaning and i i have no doubt in my mind especially growing up in a white evangelical situation how much even like your own experience might be glossed over just over placation all the time that's how my mom is coping right now, which is part of the reason why it's hard to talk to her because I think that's all all she knows. Mm. I'm fine. I'm going to see my father in heaven. I'm praying for you. I'm going to, you know, I'm like, mom, I actually don't want to hear that. I'm angry that dad died. It was horrible. I didn't like watching it happen. I am not okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's it. But that was that's how she's learned to stay in line and like cope. Sure. Is yeah, there... fit, in, fit into the nice needle, like the little box. Everything is like, when really it's like, you should be angry. Like that's a normal feeling. You know what I mean? Like you should feel all the feelings and you have the right to feel all those feelings. Like to me, that is just like, that is like one of the things that I think I struggle with most is just this like small, it's such a small idea of like 
God or the universe or divine love or whatever word you want to use. Like, do we honestly think that like all of this, like a small God created all of this? (laughs) And you know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I have, I have a really hard time with like, just this this small idea like really like you think that if i say these words Mm. i'm good yeah right if i say a specific order of words then that only christians knew right english speaking american christians (laughs) as long as you say the lord's prayer in a certain way and i remember so when i was in college i did a mission trip because we had to have a certain amount of mission hours before graduating uh, because basically we had to minor in biblical studies on top of like a whole bunch of and i double degreed and you know i'm classic overthinker um so i went uh, to Kazakhstan to teach English slash the Lord. Um, and, and I remember save we had people. save those brown people and, and the Asian people and like all the stuff. And it was just like, uh, I, like I cringe at so many things that I did in college. Um, but I remember one of our translators, I asked her, I was like, how did you come to know the Lord? And she's like, oh, I showed up to, cause they like, I showed up to a youth event and they made me say a prayer and, I, and then I was like, I guess I'm Christian now. I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, and like even me at my core and at my like probably most Christian-y, I was like, that's not right. That's not okay. Like that's not an actual, it's just like. That's not how this works. It's, it's like, you, you, you don't have to be Christian. <laughs> I was like, you know that, right? Like you don't have to do it. She's like, yeah, well, I'm here already. I was like, no. And like those, those little pieces kind of helped wake me up to like, Oh God, this is like, this is colonization. <laughs> A million percent. This is colonization. Um, but it's, uh, people, I don't think people will ever get the connection between Christianity and colonization. Like, mm. it is crazy and scary. And the fact that, like, we raise kids to be little missionaries and send them out, like, I had no business. I, I don't, we used to go to Mexico every year. They send mm. us to Mexico every year. Yes. I don't know what the hell we were doing there. We were going we were to an orphanage. Kids. Didn't you go to an orphanage? I know. Yeah, I mean, I know. Wait, that's what I'd say. But like, I still, mean, like, it was like, it was kind of like, we're not, I, I just, and maybe it's because as, as I've gotten older, I'd rather empower people than like, do like, we're not, we don't need to go and do the work. Like the people need their communities the way they need their communities. We have no business. Mm interjecting our faith our procedures yeah. our education on them like let a community build up the way they need to like if we're going in general like we come in like we're these like saviors like yeah. we're yeah. here yeah. to help you and it's like no yeah. we're, just, we're just doing this to make ourselves feel better this is not it's a christian vacation it's not it's a hundred percent a christian vacation and it's usually only like two weeks and then you leave and you never go back to that community again and then it's just kind of like okay you built a couple of houses maybe or like but like the longevity of this culture is not being maintained and it's feeling forced in different ways yeah yeah it was always really awkward for me to do those kinds of things because like i'm a brown person and i'm going to like as a missionary to other brown people to save Mm. them from you know what i mean it just felt Mm. like very like in my mind i think there was a lot of conflict about like what I was doing to my own people. Do you know what I mean? Like it yeah. feels very strange. 
Um, yeah. It's, and it's- while you're already feeling sort of like on the spectrum of who you are and like in between so many different cultures. Yeah. And then also being like, oh, well, I, I now know <laughs> what the answer is. That's mm-hmm. Yeah, hard as well. <laughs> I, I think the worst ones were for me, like going down to the homeless shelters and going down to Watts and being like preaching to them and doing little skits. And I'm like, they're hungry. They're um, hungry. Don't force don't them to watch see, this. Yeah, they don't want to see our skit. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? This is this is the one time I will allow the word skit because that is exactly what those were. <laughs> skit. And then we really thought we were doing something out there. Like, we really thought mm-hmm. we were doing... And I'm just... It's horrifying and gross. And I, and I think one of the first conversations I had with my dad about, like, my own religious beliefs was, like, I don't feel like... And you're like you're saying, we don't give people a choice. And I don't mm-hmm. feel like I had a choice. And it's just kind of like, you are or you aren't. Like, there's no discovery. There's no coming to know. There's no, like connection with you and god and i think we also limit this idea of god if an omnipresent Mm. omniscient god won't accept me unless i do this little prayer it's weird it's like uh, this this uh, it's all across the board this ain't it homie right this is not what we want to do and then also being a black woman knowing that i'm using tools of the oppressor to manipulate these people too much right well and it's quick fix fire insurance essentially is what that kind of just in case you go to hell and not like you're dying it's such a good way to like not have to take responsibility for anything yeah it's Mm. all in god's hands god's take care of it we're just gonna wait for jesus to come back which basically means i don't have to do anything because god's got it all under control yeah. And I've got my direct line to God, so I don't need to donate money to your cause. I don't need to pitch in and actually help or like I you know, tithe. Hand out water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tithe to my church who eventually probably filters in some money to you guys, but yeah. Oh man. Oh, Chris, I feel like I could talk to you for like ten hours straight. <laughs> I just I love this because we all we all grew up very similarly and it's yeah. so important. To talk about how affecting the, like, raising your kids evangelical is, and or you know, like it's just it's a different world. And I remember the first good pastor I ever met. He's like, "You need to go to therapy," which was he's like, "And you need to tell them you were raised evangelical." Yeah. He's like, "Because yeah, this ain't, this ain't it." He's like, "It was actually the pastor who I talked to about my dad dying, saying it was like everybody's." He's like, "Oh." They, they worked over at that church, didn't they? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. You're cool. You don't have to worry about it. He's like, but you need to go to therapy and you need to tell them you were raised in a Christian evangelical church yeah. and they'll know what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad so they're glad. talking about this shit. I, I'm so glad that they, they said that because like, yeah. to have that kind of perspective is just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only man my mom, my dad wanted. He didn't want anybody. He knew that he wanted that particular pastor um, to um, do his, what is that? Crematorium? What is that? Cremation? Cre- no. Wait, what? <laughs> like when, the- the, when the pastor talks at your funeral. Oh, a eulogy? Eulogy. What did I say? Okay. 
I ran the gamut of like what we were talking about at that point. <laughs> we didn't want his body to be ashes. Uh, he didn't want a crematorium involved. He didn't want, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing so many things. I know. It's Eulogy. Got it. Got it. Got Thank it. Because my dad was like, he wanted to make sure that people knew at the end of the day, like that he was deconstructing all this shit. Like he wanted to make sure he went out. And the pastor even said, he's like, and he was pro-choice. My mom was like, we were supposed to say that out loud. And you're in the back going, yes. My mom is very much high things. She's a saint. My dog oh, is God. attacking me. <laughs> it's like you a little like, gremlin noise. <laughs> it's funny because he knows what time it is. He knows that in oh, seven minutes, it. I normally take him out. So he's like, gotcha. well, he's winding me up. We, but, can, we could wrap uh, it up. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. But yeah. Um, we we typically end these with uh, just talking about something that you might be excited for uh, in the coming week or something that um, you're working on. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I'm working on like this research project, which is an oral history. And so I'm doing these like oral histories with other Chicanas because usually we are the only brown people in these spaces, you know, we're the token brown person. And so I think my question initially that I started with was like, surely I can't be alone. Surely I can't be Mm. the only one. There's just no way. Um, And so, you know, through this process, like, you know, I, I found women, they're starting to come out of the woodwork and <laughs> I'm going to be interviewing them and just sort of getting their experience because there's not a lot of data on this particular group of women, because there's not a lot of us. Um, mm-hmm. I get to use oral history, which actually is really great because it gives them agency to share their story through their narratives in their voices. Um, and and nobody's telling them what they can or can't say. Like, so, um, so the next couple of weeks I'll be doing that. And then I'll be working on like a paper that I hopefully will get to submit for publication and then hopefully go into grad school and just continue this work. So uh, we are definitely bringing you back on to talk more about that and what the process yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I know. I feel like I didn't talk any about it, but yeah, I'd love to. Oh, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Marie, what do you have coming up? Um, nothing as exciting as what Christy's got going on, but I will say um, I'm going to um, have my nieces and nephew are coming over and I get to babysit them for Oh, like four days, and I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, um, it was funny because my nephew wasn't gonna come because it, you know it was girls that are going. <laughs> but his mom sent me a message and was like, "He's saying like maybe if you like you want him to come, he might come out." Like I was like, "You just want to come?" <laughs> he just wants the validation. Yeah. Of like, <laughs> I need you here. <laughs> Oh, I just love it. So I'm excited. I'm going to have both of them here. And I'm going to the other 90s, 2000s queer throwback party that's in San Francisco because we're one of them. And then there's another one. So I'm going to the other one this weekend. So I'm excited. Nice. Okay. That's awesome. 
And then for me, uh, I, this is my last week with all of my own, uh, ligaments and things, uh, come Monday, I get my ghost knee, um, and, uh, we'll maybe have an update next, uh, next time we record, we'll see how I am. (laughs) I have no idea. Um, but yeah, uh, for you, Chrissy, I, uh, tore my ACL and, uh, yeah it's been a whole thing um so yeah (laughs) um yeah and then the day before that my my parents are actually going to be in town and um we're gonna have a little lunch and try not to uh freak out pre-surgery while my dad talks too much medical interest in history yeah my dad used to work in pharmaceutical sales so like i understand the like the hospital visits and the things and i was sick a lot as a kid too because my dad would bring home anything from the hospital um <laughs> uh yeah so uh can't wait to get into all of that but yeah <laughs> But thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Christy. This is absolutely one of my number one favorite ones that we've had so far. And uh, please, everyone, remember that the universe is absolute chaos. So please be kind. Marie, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. um, You know, if you can't afford to buy things at Walmart, PayPal has... um, Buy and for, pay later. So just in case you're broke right beforehand so i like to <laughs> okay i love this this is not even a tagline this is really good advice actually and i need to stop doing this no i love this but yeah uh walmart has paying for so if you are broke and you can't afford all of the gifts right now walmart has paying for and no they don't sponsor us i just like to give bad advice basically they've got layaway yeah yeah okay (laughs) love it i want to get all of these taglines and just put them all on a t-shirt at some point (laughs) all right thanks for listening everyone bye bye One thing we forgot to mention is that if you would like to keep up with Christy's research and everything that she's doing, please follow her at at browngirlwhitechurch on Instagram. You can also follow Marie at madmarie13 and myself at at lsassypants. Thanks for listening. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 